There is hope for us yet We are young, we are wet I am Laura McCallum no And I am Holly Whitaker And this is Home Podcast Hello <laughs> Greetings Greetings Where in the world is Holly Whitaker today? <laughs> I am in San Francisco I got here this morning, and I am currently in a coffee shop. I'm sick. Please forgive background noise. Yeah. Yeah. You've been running all over. Um, I have. Yeah. So let's let's kind of get right into it um, for this week, yeah? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, a couple announcements first. Uh, you want to talk about the atheist episode? Yeah, so some of you might have been tuning in to hear our atheist episode that was supposed to air today, and actually we've gone back to the drawing board on that, and that will be airing sometime in December. It was supposed to be our first interview episode, but yeah. we do have some different news on the yeah. interview front. But. Yeah, so we are so psyched. Huh, um, this isn't even... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be interviewing in the coming couple of weeks, Sarah Heppola, uh, the author of Blackout, and and Anne Dowsett Johnston. I can't even. I know, the author of Drink. Personal um, hero, yes. Yeah, we are, um, the, it were, we were both, we just took a shot and uh, asked, and both of them said yes almost immediately, and yeah. Uh, we are beside ourselves. So those interviews, and I know a lot of our listeners um, will be just as excited. So those yeah. episodes will air um, in the coming few weeks, uh, more actually like in December, uh, December, yeah, yeah, early December. And then, yeah, and then the Atheist episode will come after that. So those, yeah. those are the announcements on episodes. I do want to say, please, 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 if you uh, love the podcast, go over and rate us on iTunes. It takes two seconds. Even if that's not how you listen um, to us, just go over there. It would be awesome to go um, there after this episode and see a bunch more ratings. It's how people can find the podcast. So yeah, it helps spread the word. And I, I do have to say, I, um, I am just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's still a little surreal that we're actually interviewing those two. Um, oh God. It feels so surreal, but I'm, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like my dream as, as a writer <laughs> and as a, and as part of doing this, it's like, you know, it, it, um, we started this with no intention of it, of really knowing what it would be, but both yeah. of it, you know, and, and to be able to, within the first, you know, few months, be able to do that is just so awesome. And I'm, yeah. I am, I love both of their books, um, yeah. you know, and love, uh, and they're just so different and, you know, yeah, and I think it, it really speaks volumes. What I what I thought about the most is it really speaks volumes to this community and how willing uh, I found other people to lend the lend their voices to each other's uh, platforms and causes in order to really promote a unified front. It's just it, I thought it was just an incredible showing for both of them to, to yeah. not know a thing about about our podcast well and either and as women too I think that has a lot to do with it I think I do I I absolutely agree absolutely agree so yeah so that's coming up in December and yeah 
So, yeah. So tonight we uh, are going to do a quick episode. We're going to um, do less time than normal for us and answer a, a letter that we both really loved and thought would be um, perfect to answer and, and try to do so more succinctly than usual. And, uh, and yeah, back to letters. So, and this one came in to ask iFly. This is a, a letter to Laura. Yeah, so the, I'll go ahead and read the letter uh, and, we'll, and we'll get into it. So it's from Concerned in Colorado. It says, I just recently stumbled on your podcast and I love it. I quit drinking at the beginning of the month after acting like an idiot one too many times. I have a husband and two children who have seen me act like an idiot and I have embarrassed them all, all too many times. I know the answer is simple. Put that shit down. But my question is, how do I make it last forever? How do I wrap my head around the idea and make it stick? I'm literally afraid that it, maybe I'm not in control. And if it really is a disease, maybe I never will be. I'm scared to fuck it all up again, and I can't afford for that to happen. So I'm open to any ideas or advice you may have for me. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you want me to? Yeah, I'd like you to go ahead and start on this one. I, okay. I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah. So my first, my first thought is the answer is simple, like she said, but it's not easy. And there's an air of, I mean, she says I'm an idiot or acted like an idiot you know, a couple times in this, and there's an overall, you know, there's a, uh, a frequency underneath it that is like, why, you know, why am I being so stupid? And I just want to kind of cut that off right from the bat uh, and tell this reader, you know, concerned in Colorado, you're not an idiot. Um, and you're not, you know, you're not an idiot for not controlling something that's not controllable. Um, so I, I just wanted to clear that off. You know, I, I heard that a few times come through in the letter. We hear that from so many people who are exasperated by their behavior and really, you know, self-deprecating about it. And I just want to say, you know, you're not an idiot. <laughs> you're not. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I jump in before you move on to the next answer on that? Because I think that's a really important point to belabor, which is so many of us come into this feeling so other, watching so many people around us seemingly be able to pull something off that we can't pull off. Right. And the bigger reality to this is that a lot of people struggle with drinking, maybe not to the extent where they are acting out to a certain degree, but a lot of people are uncomfortable with their drinking a lot more than we actually understand. And that is because it is an addictive substance. It is a poisonous, addictive substance, and we are, you know, we're all raised to believe that it's completely normal to drink and that everyone should be able to control it, and if you can't control it, then there's something wrong with you, yeah. and I think it's just such a dangerous thing for us to really continue on believing because the truth is, it is, it is it's a highly addictive substance that that we watch our parents drink and our peers drink, and that's served up at almost every possible uh, event, holiday, uh, yeah. dinner. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's pervasive in our culture. And it's just not, I mean, it's, it's just not, I don't know. I have a really hard time with that whole, like, um, what's wrong with me? Why can't I when everyone else can? And 
the truth is so many can't and that's because it is it's an addictive substance and it's been rated the most dangerous drug um of all the drugs of of heroin above crack and so it's anyways i just i want to say no that's not in any way point at all that's why i said it first you know i think just today i was talking to someone who quit drinking for a year not because of his own um his own issues but because someone really close to him um had died uh, many years ago and this, and we were ta- we were talking about you know what past experience and he said you know I, I never really had a problem with it but i saw you know what it did to this person that i cared about and you know after they passed away i quit for a year because i I was just so, I was traumatized by it. And he said it was the hardest thing he'd ever done. Um, as And without even having, you know, a quote unquote addiction to it, to quit for a year. He said, it's really hard, really, really hard to be a non-drinking person. Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, the, there is that I just wanted to clear, you know, right off the bat. Yep. So the second point, um, is, you know, she said, I'm afraid that maybe I'm not in control. And all I could think in this letter, and this speaks to the point of, you know, how do I wrap my head around it is you're not in control. It's not, it's not that you're powerless. You know, this is the whole powerless thing. It's not that you, you concerned in Colorado are powerless, but you are powerless after you start drinking and you're powerless to what alcohol does to you. Um, so the question of not being in control, you know, it's almost like, I hate to break it to you, but you're probably not. And that I think is where the, where the acceptance starts. I mean, I tried every way possible to find a way to control it, you know, and um, thinking that it was the fifth drink or the sixth drink or the seventh drink that got me drunk. And it was the first, you know, if I didn't take the first, it didn't happen. Um, so I was powerless once I drank. It wasn't, it's not that she's out of control and, and that she's doomed to get drunk and she's doomed to embarrass herself in front of her family. No, 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 no. But she doesn't have control over alcohol. You know, I, usually when we get a letter like this, they're, you know, this is a very short letter, but they're glossing over a much bigger story. And if you're, if you're writing into a recovery, you know, <laughs> website, chances are you've, you have already have the evidence to show that you're in trouble. Yeah. So I would, I would just say, you're not, you're not in control. You know, you're right. You're not in control. And that's not the bad news. That's actually, that's, that's the good news once you accept it, because um, it makes, it makes the decision path um, not easy, but clear. Yeah. Uh, And then the, I I think I'll turn it over to you because the, um, the, how you make it last forever. I'll, I'll add my thoughts. And I think this is where, Maybe you and I have different responses, but um, how you make it last forever. Uh, my first thing was like throw willpower out the window. You know, there's yeah. definitely uh, how do I make how do I wrap my head around it? How do I make it stick? There is no wrapping my head. There was no wrapping my head around it. You know, yeah. if I if I learned anything is that it it was not an intellectual exercise. There was no amount of understanding. 
you know, that I could, nothing I could do with my head or my will that was going to make, going to make it stick. It was, what was it? Um, it was, well, <laughs> there was a lot, but it was not, it was understanding that, that it was bigger than me. Like I, I didn't, um, it was not something my brain was going to solve. And, and I threw, when you say it was not something your brain was going to solve, what do you mean? Like I couldn't willpower my way out of it. I couldn't, I, I did not have, I had to ask for help. I mean, that's, that's what it was for me. I had to, to say, okay, this is a problem that cannot be solved. Like most of the the other problems that I've solved in my life. I can't throw more, um, more will at it. I can't throw, um, I can't find a different solution. You know, I can't like find a way to drink control in a controlled way. I can't find a third door. I can't find another option. Yeah. I can't, I can't, you know, intellectualize it anymore. Like I, I, you know, it was, it was just a very, um, yeah, I think, so there's a real interesting thing. I mean, we're kind of going off a little off point, but I I do want to make a one big, one big assertion, which is, um, I don't think, I I think willpower is a very poor way to, to attempt sobriety. And I don't think it, I don't think it it necessarily lasts. And I also don't think it's entirely pleasurable. And when I say willpower, I mean, willpower is really cognitive dissonance. It's when you have a split decision about something and and really it's when part of you still wants to do something terribly and where part of you doesn't want to do something. And so you, you basically go off of this I, of this, I, I, I don't want to do, and you hope that that holds out. And the funny thing with willpower, and they've done studies on this, is that willpower only lasts. It's just like every day when you start off, you only have a bit of, you only have a certain amount of brain power. You really only have a certain amount of willpower as well. Mm -hmm. And that after time, that willpower, it's almost like give it so much time. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, I God, I really want to drink, but no, I can't. I I really want to drink at some point. There is, there is going to be a point where you are weakened to the point of really giving into it. And so when I say, when I think of willpower, I think of it as being cognitive dissonance, which is, or ambivalence, which is part of you, like not really being sure which side of the fence you're on and, and kind of hoping that if you know, you know that the part of you that really doesn't want to will win out and yeah um, it's a battle yeah it's like Austin Burroughs says it wherever you're applying willpower there's a band-aid that's going to fall off yeah. yeah yeah so it's just it's one of those things that it didn't work for me and, and I think that was what was really concerning to me too at the beginning um, because I had tried willpower to quit cigarettes before I had you know I'd done everything I could possibly do for years to try and quit cigarettes and I'd I'd failed so many times and I, I tried for years, you know, based on willpower to, to be vegetarian or vegan and, and not it only held out for certain lengths of time yeah, or lose weight or right or lose whatever. weight. Right. And it just didn't. And so, um, so I, but I think there's a, there's also a very big difference of will. <laughs> and I think will is something that we all have and will is. So I think when you're saying willpower, willpower is this idea of, of kind of managing split parts. Will is really your fierce determination to continue to show up and do something over and over and over and over again. Will is showing up. Like yeah. my will is, you know, if, if I'm like, my will is what gets me through a really hard yoga class and will is what can get you through writing out a craving. So yeah. I want to make that really distinction that I, I didn't use willpower to quit. I definitely used will. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yep. Okay. Um, so you want me to take a crack at the forever part? Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah. And I'll, I'll just finish my, you know, I just have like two more, two more thoughts about it. You know, as far as, you know, she says, how do I make it last forever? How do I make it stick? And, you know, my answer here is like, you don't think of, I don't think of forever. Yeah. I know we differ, but I don't think of forever. If I thought, especially I can think of forever now and it feels different, but if, especially when I first started, if I thought of every wedding, every birthday, every holiday, every, you know, the next week ahead of me, if I thought about how, you know, forever, there's just no way I was, I couldn't, you know, she says, how do I wrap my brain around it? I couldn't. There was a big block there. So you don't, you stay sober now and now and now, and you say today, I'm going to do it. And then you, you know, use your will, like you said, and um, use the help of others and you stay sober at, you know, a day at a time. And then, you, you know, then you, you change your brain, you rewrite your patterns. You, um, that's how you get to stick to it, you know, is, is moment by moment um, for my experience. And the other thing I, I would say is that there's no, I don't know, you know, to ask, to ask for help ask, you know, there is no, again, the, the idea a lot of times with, with willpower is like, I have to do this. I have to do this. And she doesn't, you know, she, she, at the end of the day, yes, there's going to be moments where it comes to her and she will be the only one in the room or the only one in the car deciding if she's going to go, you know, drink or she's going to go whatever, do something else or, you know, a million times like that, uh, where she, where she alone is, it has to decide, but there are so many arms who are waiting to help and would love to help. And yeah. sometimes, yeah. I mean, this even read in this letter is an, is an act of, um, asking for help. It is. It is. It's a huge step. It's yeah. Really so big. that's, that's what I would say. I think, um, for such a short letter, there was a lot in it. The reason we decided to answer it was because, was because of that. And yeah, I would love, I would love to hear what you what you say too. Yeah. And so I think one of the first things I want to say to, again, her stupid, I'm stupid, you know, whatever I'm weak of stupid. It's, it's, um, the thing that, and you, I think you actually even pointed this out in the Facebook group the other day. I, I really, I, I like to think that it's quite intelligent for us to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's all sorts of reasons that cause us to reach for a substance, all sorts of different reasons. Like it might be something, it might be that we're trying to balance our blood sugar. It might be that we're trying to balance our neurochemicals. It might be because we can't deal with trauma. It might be because, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of reasons that a human being will reach for, for a substance. And when you find something that works, you stick to it, which is why some people prefer alcohol, some people prefer pot, some people prefer Coke, some people prefer sugar, and on and on. And so you find you find what works. You find what works for all this underlying stuff. Yeah. And so it's intelligent. It's intelligent. But the problem is it ends up causing more consequences, and it ends up going right back into the thing that made you reach for it in the first place. And it, it basically the reasons you reach for it increase and increase and increase. So it's a vicious cycle, right. and that. It doesn't or, work. It, it doesn't working. work. It stops yeah. working. And so it's not unintelligent. It's not stupid. It's just, it's, it's just like the, the rugs pulled out from under you. You found something that maybe relieved your social anxiety and made you feel like, you know, human or whole or whatever it did for you. And then all of a sudden it's, it's actually creating a bigger hole. And so there's that. And then the second part is going into the wondering if we have a problem or not. And I think this is just, this is another big trick that's been played on us and thinking that we have to identify with this, you know, this, this, 
<coughs> excuse me, we have to identify with this far end of the spectrum, and we have to identify with the guy falling down on the street drunk, right? We have to we have to identify with the alcoholic, or we have to identify with 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 um, with somebody that's lost everything. And and this is this is really a big, I think one of the bigger dangers that we have in our society, which is we think it, we wait until it gets really bad before we feel like we really have to address the problem. And while most of us have been going on for a very long time where it was a problem for a very long time. And so I have to stress that it does not matter where you qualify on the fucking spectrum, throw it out. Like it, like don't go through the checklist. If you feel like you need to go to a checklist to see if you have a drinking problem, I will tell you right now, (laughs) there is something wrong. It is not right. It is interfering with your life. It is freaking you out. Right. And so that's it. It just has to qualify as a problem for you. It does not have to, there is no scale that will tell you anything more than what your own internal guidance system is saying. And if it is making a mess of your life in front of your kids, it's, if it's causing you shame, if it's, if it's threatening your marriage, or if it's doing anything that feels disaligned with how you want to live your life, then that's enough. That is enough. Yep. And then the last thing I want to say on the forever part, you and I are so different on this. And I absolutely loved forever. And here's why forever to me, it was freedom. I, wanted to be free of all of this stuff. It controlled my life. The, I thought about when I would drink. I, if, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about when I would drink. If, if I was, if I was drinking, I was worried right. about how much I was mental drinking. Obsession. The right. mental obsession. And it was something that was, and I couldn't do anything in my life worth doing because I was so focused on drinking. And so I wanted, for me, It was not, and I I did a lot of, like, I did, you said you can't think your way out of it. For me, I thought my way out of some of it. I mean, I did a ton of work, like, I you know, a holistic makeover, you know, I mean, I from, from, you know, from energy work to body work to vitamins to, to, you know, my social and relation, you know, I did the whole thing, but I have to say a big part of this for me was the rethinking. My brain had to understand why I should not drink, and so for me... There was a, a big part of this is reading Alan Carr's Easy Way to Control Alcohol, and there's other books like it. Jason Bell's Kick the Drink, most recently, Annie Grace's um, This Naked Mind, all three wonderful resources, and all three that really, really get to the point of like, dear God, why are we fighting to keep this in our life? And for me, that was exactly what it was. I did not want to keep this thing in my life. And right. so there was, for for forever was a relief. Now, I will say pot was a different one for me because I loved pot so much. Like, and there was when I, even when I was like, I, I quit pot because I didn't, it didn't align. It didn't work at all anymore. Okay. Alcohol, I couldn't wait to be free of, but pot was, (laughs) no, I think it's so funny. I think, you know, the more we talk about our stories, I think you identify more similarly emotionally with how I felt, you know, about giving up alcohol is, is how you emotionally felt about giving up pot. Like it was, yeah. it was a grieve grievance process. It was, it was, it was. And there's a couple things too. And that's also because it was, I quit them separately and I became way more dependent on pot in the time after I gave alcohol up. Um, it was also part of my recovery. It was, and it 
was just, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely harder for me. Um, and so, but I, for pot, you know, the kind of the same thing, it's freedom, it's freedom. It's that I don't have to do this anymore. And so for me, what I gave myself for, for pot was I don't have forever. I've told myself if I turn 90 years old, I will, you know, and like, and I have nothing left. I'm, you know, I will be at the dispensary. I will, I will be stoned off my ass. Um, but I have too much work to do. My life is too big and too great for me to waste any more time messing around with something that interferes with my best self. And so for both of them though, I don't go down the path of like, I don't think about them. I just don't think about them every day. I think about them because this is my work. I don't think about them because there's something missing in my life. And that was actually very early on for me as well. Um, it was just, it, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of work, but it was also a lot of, I just, I did not, um, I really didn't allow myself to think about them. Um, and that also came, a, a ton of that came from the the reading I did and the repatterning I the re, like the repatterning I did in my own mind with my own resources. So so yeah, forever forever for me is a relief doing the one day at a time thing um kept it too it would have that would have been too much for me because I didn't want it like my biggest fear was that I would have to think about it every day and my biggest fear was being somebody that was just going through life having to having to make it one day at a time. Um and I think it's just, yeah, you did not find freedom in that. I find, found, great, I found great, yeah. I find great freedom in that. And it yeah. feels, it's not, and it doesn't, it doesn't hit me, you know, the way that you f- were afraid of it hitting you, which is, I'm thinking about every day. I'm trying not to do it every day. Like yeah. at the beginning it was, you know, yeah. it was, it was very much, a, I, you know, I, I just, I'm just going to hold on today. Now it's not like that at all, but I, but I honor it every day. You know, I recognize it every day. I specifically ask for help for it every day. Um, but it's not because, you know, it, 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 again, we've talked about this so many times and I think it's really important to recognize that there are different ways to think about it. Like, yeah. it, and, and whatever feels freeing to you is, is right for you. You know, That's right. whatever feels freeing is right to me. I tried, you know, I, and it was a lot of trial and error too. Like, don't get me wrong. I read all the stuff you read. Um, I, and I did take in a lot of information and that was very critical. And it has been to me, I wanted to understand what it does, what it, you know, what addiction is. I wanted to understand everything. And I found Alan Carr's book to be really helpful too, Jason Bale's book. So I, I, I agree, like understanding more helps too, but it didn't, it wouldn't have got me all the way there. I, there was no more information for me to take in. It was a, it was a, an acceptance within that it is just done. You know, I, I don't control it. Um, yeah. And I wasn't saying that it took me all the way there. And, and, and I, I mean, let's be clear. I did. I mean, I did everything under the sun in order to not, in order to break addiction. I just, I did, I, I, I did everything in my power to break it. But what I am saying is that the intellectual piece of it was, was highly important for me. Rethinking mm-hmm. it was a very big part of it. And yeah. it, it, you know, kind of you and I operate very differently. I mean, this is like, this, this shows up in, in, in simply how we execute the podcast. It shows up in, in how we write our blogs. Our blog posts are incredibly different. I am, you know, I mean, mine are very linear and I have the, you know, I have the lists and the do this and, and I'm very definitive and you're very flowy and, you know, we just have different styles. And so of course, different things worked for us. And, and for me, I think one of the, the reasons that never, you know, like 
the forever part worked for me was because I just like, it was so low maintenance. It was so just duh, done. Right. I want it, you know, like executed off the list next. And that was why it was, you know, why I think it, it really paired well with, um, with my style. So, um, totally. And, and I'm obviously tons and tons of other people too. I think that's, you know, one of the, I, I made a, um, a list or making a list of like the, the books that have changed my life. And one of the quotes that I found in one of Augustine Burroughs books is, um, that basically in order, you know, in order for you to achieve anything that you want in your life, in order to overcome anything, to achieve anything, to, um, get over, you know, overcome obstacles, to, um, break through, to heal requires that you allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're actually feeling and not pretend like you feel something that you don't. Yeah. Whatever that is. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. It's like you, this is such a deeply personal process. And that's why I can go to AA meetings and I don't get, you know, I can take what works for me and, and leave it. And it doesn't, I don't, you know, if I could, it's a personal process and, and recognizing that and, and being sober and, and being able to really tune into that, like the, um, frequency of your own heart to, to understand what's true for you is, is like the ultimate guide. Like when going back to the letter and what you said about, you know, if, if you're writing, if, if this doesn't fit with your life, if you're writing into a recovery blog, if you're asking these questions, if, you know, you, you already have the information that you need to have to make the decision, you know, and to follow that, like, I think that's more than anything, something we agree on so, um, consistently and wholeheartedly is like, we, we all have the answers, you know, inside of us. Me too. Um, Me too. And so tuning, being able to tune into that and to say, and to listen to something you say, Holly, and go, yes, I understand that as my truth as well. Or no, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I, but I, um, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know, it doesn't mean your path is wrong or my path is wrong. It's, um, Anyway, no, I think it's interesting. So I'm going to do, I'm going to pull Laura. I want to read something actually, and it's not something somebody else wrote, but it's something that I wrote today and I'm probably not going to publish it, but, um, I was writing, I'm, I'm starting to do, I'm doing book reviews as well. And so mm -hmm. I had written out, um, a reason why I think why reading has been so important for me on the path. Mm -hmm. And I think and so I wrote this, when it comes to addiction, absolutely no one has it 100% right. Not AA, not the doctors, not the Betty or Hazelden, not Shatterproof, not Gabor Mate, not David Sheff or Tommy Rosen or Johan Hari or Nora Valco or Noah Levine. Not your therapist, Brenda, or your smart recovery group or your mom or your yoga teacher, Bobby, and for certain, not me. In the last 20 years, there's been an explosion of research on the brain um, and still debate whether it is a brain disease or even a disease. We've begun to understand things like what effect trauma has on our lives and what role it plays in addiction, how willpower actually works, the power of mindfulness, the dangers of stress, and on. We've just recently begun to question the war on drugs and the criminalization of drug users. The extent of most of our doctors' addiction training, and I have that in quotes, is still participation in 12-step meetings. Mm -hmm. Just around 10% of those who suffer from acute addiction actually seek and receive treatment. The entire scene is so mired in shame and stigma and fear that there are no viable statistics on what actually works or what patient outcomes truly are. And for the most part, experts spend their time discrediting one another's findings rather than working together to bridge them. And don't get even, don't even get me started on how predatory, gamed, and opportunistic the privatized rehab scene is. 
In other words, we're not just working within a broken system. That's like the nice thing to say. We're in the middle of a shit show. We're in the middle of the shit show at one of the most vulnerable places we may ever be in our entire lives, alone and afraid of being found out, desperate for help with a thousand questions, struggling to overcome one of the most difficult conditions most humans will ever come up against in their lives. And so I wrote that in essentially in, in some sort of like a, um, in a promotion towards why to research the hell out of this and make this your number one case. And so I guess I would close out by saying, just based on what you and I just said, which is we really, really, really have to make this our own, make whatever it is that we're going up with, not just be passive, but actually explore it, pull the thread and come to the right conclusions that we're Oh, like chase the, chase the fuck out of it. Chase, yeah. chase, you know, and that's a, that's like a, a thing I got an A, like chase recovery, like you did drinking, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. and, and <laughs> chase, <laughs> yeah. And it's like that, you know, and, and, and that i you know, I think is what we're both saying, you know, totally throw, throw everything you have at it. Throw the book at it. Throw yeah. the book at it. Throw your, you know, throw all of your energy, all of your time. Um, yeah, I think I love that. I love that. And I think maybe I'll publish it anyway. All right. So, um, so yeah, so I think we answered it maybe longer than we had anticipated. Maybe not. Maybe we did it in a timely fashion this time. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I, I think there are hundreds, thousands, thousands, thousands of women and men who who say the same, you know, say the same thing. And there are at least, you know, hundreds of women in the Facebook group that we started alone that have, you know, that would, that could say these same exact words. It was a letter I would have written too. I mean, that's a letter totally. I would have written in, in, in like mid 2012. Like, what am I doing? How am I doing this? I think I might have a problem. I'm not sure. This yeah. is, this is everyone's letter. <laughs> it is. It's everyone's letter. That's why we're answering it. So, um, don't be scared you're going to fuck it up all again. You know, it's, um, you, you can turn it around right this very second. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> sicky. Bye. All right. So I think that's it for tonight. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Stay tuned for the upcoming weeks and so much, so much good stuff happening. Uh, excited to hit my bed <laughs> i'm so excited to hit my well i'm hitting a couch but i'm excited for that couch You're excited to hit your couch surfing couch yeah i'm gonna go my uh my homie and i are gonna go get some thai food watch the league which is one of the stupidest most vulgar shows ever but oh, i'm so it. behind on shows all right yeah anyway okay cool well this is fun Bye.